I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 19. Hello, welcome. Yes. It's been a while. It has, it has. Jess and I took a little vacay. We did. And then I got the Rona. She did. Hence why I sound a little weird. I'm still getting over it, so... She avoided it for almost three years. I did. And uh, <laughs> luckily, I didn't feel the effects till the day we got back. So. Yes, yes. So there's that. But then I ruined Christmas for everyone. So. <laughs> you did you not. Know. You win some, you lose some. You did not. So just anyway. had to be by yourself. I, oh, man. You know, I'm normally a loner kind of person. Like, I don't <laughs> mind my own company. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't have to be around a lot of people, but being quarantined and stuck, like when you have to be stuck, it's a whole other story. (laughs) Yeah. When you are forced to be alone, you suddenly don't want to be alone anymore, right? Exactly. That's exactly it. (laughs) Oh, man. My Christmas was spent sick and in my bed. (laughs) And, uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So. We just stayed home because, well, we had a nine-hour drive, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a week to recuperate. So we stayed home, and both my parents and my sister and her three kids came, and we just had a simple little day, Yeah. Christmas day. Nice. So it was fun. My brother was supposed to come up from Houston. <laughs> they did not. Nope. Which is, you know, it was sad, but... It is what it is. It is what it is, so... Other than that, we had some fun tootling around the Caribbean. We did. It was a lot of fun. Neither of us had ever been on a cruise before. I've never even been out of the country. Oh, that's right. I was really excited. Yes, it was wonderful. I enjoyed myself immensely. It was a lot of fun. And we went to celebrate tiff's birthday which <laughs> yes. happened to like as we're recording it was yesterday that's right so that's happy right. birthday tiff thank you thank you and thank you to everyone who shouted me out on facebook it made me feel special well good <laughs> I, yes um, the night before i got in your profile and got some pictures <laughs> and i was like i'm gonna do this in the morning i hope she doesn't get up before me <laughs> and so no 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 um, you know, I'm not usually the social media guru <laughs> of the two of us. You so don't I was say. Like, oh, I'll do my best. So Spoiler. I was hoping it would be like a surprise. It was. It was so, a very nice surprise. Anyway. Spoiler, I do most of the social media, yeah, she guys. Does. I'm backup support. <laughs> she is. Yes. Moral support. <laughs> Yeah, we did that. We had Christmas, we had New Year's, and now we're on to our first episode of 2023, and Jess is going to kill us all, aren't you? I am. It might be... Bring it down. It might be a little short. It's going to be a two-parter. Okay. Because I made it that way. Yeah, yeah. And um, so you ready to just dive right in? Sure. All right. It's been so long that I don't can't think of any news that we have i know i feel like it's i mean it's literally been weeks Mm -hmm, since mm we've recorded yeah we literally recorded the the last time we recorded was the day before we left on the cruise yeah and i like yesterday yesterday evening was the first time 
I have seen you mm-hmm, mm-hmm, since mm-hmm. we got back because of being sick and <laughs> all of that. So it's nice to see your face. Oh, thanks. And right. she brought me presents. <laughs> and I was, well, I was so mad because when I originally ordered it, it was like, oh, it'll be here, like literally on your birthday. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's perfect because right. I don't know when I'll see her, but at least I'll have it. Mm-hmm. And then I got the notification saying it would be Friday. And I was <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. Okay, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, I get home from work today and lo and behold, I had like five packages oh so. that's always a fun day well it was funny there were one was this like giant box <laughs> like giant and i open it there's literally two things in it oh gosh a calendar i bought for work <laughs> and a game and the game i mean like the box was way bigger than it needed to be <laughs> but okay whatever all right so Let's get started. Okie dokie. All right. So I am covering the murder of E.C. Mullendore III. I have no idea who that is. If you could see my blank face, (laughs) cousins, you would say she's got no clue. A lot of people might not. Okay. But um, my sources really quick are from the book Footprints in the Dew, the most famous unsolved murder in the Southwest by Del R. Lewis. The Mullendore Murder by Mike Easterling. And oh, I... Sorry. Did you say unsolved? Yes. So unsolved. There is go- no good conclusion to this. Okay. We're going to have lots You're going to do theories. us like that. You're going to yes. do us like that. Okay. Call me Karen Silkwood case. <laughs> that sounded weird, but you know what I mean. Like, yes. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I remember feeling unfulfilled with okay. that episode. Oh, so you're just getting me back do. now? So this is... Just getting me back. Okay. This is going to be your okay. little dose of... Mm-hmm whatever <laughs> and right now anyway <laughs> the mullendore murder by mike easterling and i got this from garyglance.com and gary glance was a private investigator that was involved with this case and i just wanted to point that out because that's where okay. this came from um my last article is called mystery remains mullendore death unsolved by richard w Brake from the oklahoman which was published september 22nd 1985 so it's been almost 53 years since E.C. Molendor III died. Okay. The exact circumstances of it have never really been worked out, despite the efforts of many law enforcement officials um, to try and unravel the mystery and the attention of the media horde that covered the aftermath of the crime, which would elevate it to one of the great unsolved killings in Oklahoma history. Okay. So this case was the center of conversation across the state, a mystery of historic (laughs) proportions. It was the subject of thousands of newspaper articles and a best-selling book by a Wall Street Journal reporter, John Quitney, I think is how you say it. Mm -hmm. So just a little background, because it's important. Of course. Erd Mullendore. E-R-D, Erd, Erd Mullendore, which was E.C. Mullendore III's grandfather, began building his ranch at the start of statehood in 1907 when outlaws were running rampant in the Indian Territory. (laughs) We know all about that. Yeah, you know, where they thought they were safe from the law. (laughs) Pretty early on, the family had registered the Crossbell as the brand for their successful cattle and farming business. 
the brand had come from an old Spanish mission, which was established well before the Cherokee Strip land run of 1893, when Erd staked his claim to some of the finest land that was available. Over time, the family also branched out into oil and banking and a plethora of other businesses or business ventures, but ranching was always the passion. Okay, so on December 21st, 1926, Erd's son, Gene, married Kathleen Boren. Using Kathleen's Osage tribal head rights from her grandfather, Charlie Brown. (laughs) No way. The names in this story. (laughs) I read that and I I did chuckle a little bit because I was like, oh, man, just because, you know. Right, right. But anyway, he actually had been chief of the Osage tribe from 1918 to 1920. And what years to be chief of the Osage tribe? Yes. Wow. Yes. And uh, they built a homestead on 640 acres at the center of what would become the legendary Crossbell Ranch, which in the 1970s comprised more than 300,000 acres of, and that's owned land and leased land in Oklahoma and um, several other states. And I think the actual like ranch ranch Mm-hmm. was about 42,000 acres. Wow, that's huge. That's still a lot of acreage. Right, right. And it's up in the Osage. Yeah. So, do they are they do they get specific like where it was at because I know, I mean, let's be honest, most of us know where the Drummond Ranch is at. <laughs> yes. Well, it from what I read, it wasn't super specific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's close. It was said it's outside of Paul Huska. Okay. Now, I think, but I think it's close to Bartlesville as well. Okay, so I, it's on the east side where Drummond's on the west side. Yeah, I think okay, it's okay. one of those where it's it's super, super close to the Osage County line and the Washington oh, County okay, line. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I don't know exactly where, but that's okay. the general area. So, um, tall grass pear- Prairie area. Yes. Prairie. That's a hard word to say sometimes. (laughs) So from the beginning, Jean and Kathleen concentrated on raising Hereford cattle and breeding foundation quarter horses, earning a reputation for some of the finest uh, livestock anywhere. So that's what they really became known for, were these Hereford cattle and these quarter horses. Nice, nice. Uh, Crossbell Ranch was... Okay, this I thought was super, super cool. Crossbell Ranch was completely self-sufficient. Okay. And it had its own mills, uh, rich farmlands. It had an independent water supply. It was basically its own little town. Like an own community. Right. And cowboys that were interviewed said that the, the ranch hands of Crossbell Ranch were treated like family. And they worked hard, but the benefits far outweighed any kind of hardships they might have to endure. And most hands had a house to live in with all utilities paid, had all their meals provided for, and some even were provided like a truck to drive. Wow. Okay. So they were very well taken care of. So I guess the place to work was Crossbell Ranch. I just Googled it and it's still... It's still there. Oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. 
This is cool, too. If the ranch hand was married, the family mm-hmm. might work on the ranch as well. Oh. So the oh, wives, oh, that's good. Yeah. The wives might do things like clean homes, mm-hmm. work in the garden, and maybe the next day they would be part of the group that watched the kids. Okay, okay. That's kind of neat that everyone can be employed and have meaning or something meaningful to do. Well, and you know, honestly, if you think about it, you don't have to worry about daycare. Oh, yeah. You know, who's watching your kid? Like, you know these people because you work with them. Yeah. So, you know, that had to be convenient and nice. Anyway. That is... Like I said, it was described as one big, giant, extended family Hmm. working together to make the ranch more productive. And more often than not, several generations would end up working on the same ranch. Like, and like any family, it demanded loyalty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can see how they would be able to keep that loyalty because they treated their employees so well. Oh, absolutely. Especially if you you know, don't discriminate because they have a family right. or you choose to include their whole family. And right. Yeah, it makes yeah. it convenient. I almost kind of wonder, was like there a school on the land? Oh. Because, my, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if there was. I can't imagine a school being very close when you are on 42,000 acres of <laughs> <Right>. ranch <laughs> land. But anyway, that's the little bit of background I have. And so now I'm going to talk a little bit about E.C. Mullendor III. Oh, okay. Eugene Claremont Mullendor III, or E.C., as he was called, and that's what I will refer to him as, is E.C. Okay. He was born October 26, 1937, to Jean and Kathleen. He was heir to one of the largest cattle ranches in Oklahoma, and some even claim the nation. E.C. was groomed almost from birth to take the reins of the family's sprawling empire, the Crossbell Ranch. And E.C. met his wife, Linda, when they were just teenagers, and they were married in 1959. Okay. When E.C. was just, get this, 22 years old, (laughs) he took over the operation of the giant ranch from his father. Oh, wow. I can't imagine being 22 years old taking on this operation. I mean, what were we doing at 22? You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. I was not... Nothing that responsible. I was not anywhere near being able to take over any multi-million dollar business. I mean, I barely could take care of myself. (laughs) At 22, I don't think I could take care of myself. (sighs) But anyway, uh, he moved over and over again to expand the family holdings. And in doing this, caused the ranch to be... He Okay, let me rephrase that. Because he wanted to keep expanding the ranch, yeah. it caused the Crossbell Ranch get deeper and deeper into debt. Oh, man. After 11 years, E.C. and Linda's marriage began to crumble due oh. to E.C.'s financial problems and yep. his ever-increasing drinking habit, oh. which I think was also kind of a result of... The financial troubles. It seems that those types of things go hand in hand sometimes. Yes, yes. Mm. And Mm-mm-mm. it said that E.C. was relatively small in stature, and the feisty E.C. was no stranger to fighting, <laughs> oh, particularly gosh. after he'd been drinking for hours. Hmm. Linda watched as 
the increase in drinking transformed her formal, her formally even-tempered and highly focused husband into a volatile, paunchy loudmouth. Oh, no. All of which caused strain on the relationship, mm-hmm. leading Linda to flee with her and E.C.'s four children. Go, they had two four Tulsa. kids. Yeah. And so she got them all together and went to Tulsa. They have four children very quickly in life, I feel like. Well, and at this point, they've been married 11 years. Oh, okay. So over 11 years, four children. Okay. So okay. I don't I don't know. Now, when did they get married? Because he took over the business at 22. 1959. Okay. when they were married. So. And he was born in 1937. Okay. So was he married before he took over the business? I would have to. Let me do the math. Do the. 22, when he got married. If he got married in 1959. Yes. Okay. He did. So he got married and took over the ranch, it sounds like, all at the same time. Wow. So so she flees to Tulsa with the kids and she files for divorce. And her filing for divorce happens just days before his death. Huh. So by the time... Interesting. Mm-hmm, by the time Mullendore died, he was 33 years old when oh. he died. And the ranch was... $11 million in debt. Wow. Due in part to an extravagant lifestyle. And I did read in one of the articles, they liken <sighs> the Mullendore family mm-hmm. and their lifestyle to the TV show Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I We're laughing up. at the lifestyle, not at the life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Dallas, wow, okay. <laughs> Let's go to... September 26, 1970. Let's do it. Just before midnight on September 26, 1970, mm-hmm. E.C. Mullendore III was beaten and killed wow. oh. by a single gunshot wound to the forehead in Whoa. his own home, just oh. outside of Pawhuska. And it happened by an unknown assailant or assailants. There are several theories or speculations, should I say, that surround E.C. Mullendore's death. And we're going to talk about a couple of them. Okay. Not a couple, a few. Okay. So here's the first one. Okay. Some people think that Mullendore's murder could have been the result of a robbery. Okay. That's that's all they say. Okay. Others said it must have been a mafia contract killing. The outcome of Mullendore's- Mafia. 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 In in Oklahoma. Yes. I thought that the Tulsa Kings just recently got here. (laughs) Well- (laughs) Mafia? It, yeah. And in Oklahoma? We will we'll get more into it okay. later. We'll come back to also, that. Also, robbery. Was anything stolen? Not that I know of. Okay. I don't I don't think so. I don't recall reading anything saying that anything had been stolen. Okay. But also I'm thinking he was eleven million dollars in debt. What was What did there he have? Steal? Yeah. You can have my couch. Right? <laughs> Might not want it because that's kind of where he was. Oh, no, I don't want his couch then. So anyway, like I said, something the mafia had like a contract killing on him. And it was the outcome of Mullendore's inability to repay the huge loans that had the once financially stable ranch on the verge of collapse. So they mm. think that he borrowed money from these mafia mm. um, okay. syndicate people. Okay. Okay. And they he was so able obviously to their them, loans so didn't back come from the bank. I don't believe so. Okay. But I don't want to say yes for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I see. Yes. Mafia may be making more sense now. Yes. How do you find the mafia? 
I think. Dear Moffy, I'm sorry. Is I there think, a mob boss here? How do you, what do you do? I don't, well, I'm confused. Okay, here's what I think. This okay. is what I think. Now, one of his employees. Okay. Who we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. They think that he's the one who had a connection oh, to okay, the mafia. Okay, and okay. you have to think, it's not like, when we think mafia, we think Chicago, New York, even like Vegas. Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. so these people are kind of like St. Louis and Kansas City, Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> oh, did you hear that Oklahoman right there? <laughs> Missouri. <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri area. Thank you. So. <laughs> That's kind of the okay. area that they're thinking about. Okay. So. Hmm. Mm. Also, I didn't know that there was mops there. So. Yeah. The more you there. know. Yeah. Well, so others speculated that Mullendore's death could have been an elaborate suicide plot to uh, collect the $15 million insurance to save the debt-ridden ranch. Because E.C. Oh, Mullendore had okay. a $15 okay. million dollar Wow. Life insurance okay. policy on okay. himself. So there's that. Okay. Last one that we're going to okay. talk about. There are some that even speculated that his wife, Linda, hired someone to murder him so that she could get the $15 million payout. Okay. Now, I will say, I, me personally, I don't think she hired someone well, to kill her husband. And I'm sitting here thinking their divorce wasn't final. She had just filed Days before. Okay. So their ranch, because I'm assuming it's theirs since they are married and mm-hmm. the idea of a prenup in the 1950s probably Yeah, wasn't. I didn't see anything saying that there was one okay. or there yeah. wasn't one. And so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, she could get that $15 million, but then she'd automatically lose $11 million of it, wouldn't she? Because she'd have to pay those loans back. And I mean, that's how I would think. I, I mean, I don't know how that works, but I would think that if all of a sudden banks, IRS, whatever, knows that you're suddenly in the dough, right. they're going to take theirs. Well, and think about it this way, too. She was filing for divorce. Yeah. So why would she kill her husband? <laughs> yeah. Why would she, she take would have the been time? getting alimony? I mean, I guess if you really thought things through, I could see that. Mm-hmm. But that's a. I mean, that's a lot of thinking to do, and you want to murder your husband. And I mean, it didn't sound like he was gonna fight her for anything. But I mean, I don't know that either. But. I don't know. I just, yeah. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, she purposely got her kids Mm -hmm. and fled. Yes, for a reason. Yeah, she fled. And I'm thinking, now, I don't want to, but I can see the other side because if he was drinking, he probably wasn't the nicest person. Mm -hmm. And And it's only so long before verbal abuse turns into... And he was, they already said that after hours of drinking, like he would go out fighting. Yeah. Who's not to say he didn't hit her or, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he did it. No. Yeah. But she fled for a reason. Something to investigate that you would definitely investigate in this situation. So anyway, those are some of the theories and speculations about why he was murdered. Okay. Okay. So allegedly, Mullendore and his manservant bodyguard, Damon Chubb, and I'm air quoting Chubb (laughs) here, Anderson. He had had a manservant like like Bridgerton? 
No, I think like it was... Like Downton Abbey? No, I, so... Manservant. We're gonna... <laughs> that's a weird word. We're gonna call him Chubb, because <laughs> that's, that's the name he went by. People didn't call him Damon. He went by Chubb. And he got that nickname when he was like a baby. His his he was like what? a chubby baby. Oh my gosh! And his father called him Chub, and it, it just, just stuck, stuck for every. It did, oh. and so that's where the name came from. So okay, it's an awful name, but uh, yes, that's what we're gonna call him because that's what he was known as. We'll call him Chub Anderson. Yeah, manservant. You were talking about. <laughs> He was he was like the handyman. Oh, so okay. He, okay. He helped with random things on the ranch. He was a welder. He was mm-hmm. a very good welder. He, he wasn't help. there to get him dressed in the morning no, or serve him it his was tea. Just, it was just to help with things around the ranch okay. and the house. Okay. And he wore multiple hats, should we say. Like okay. he had several things. But they also called him his bodyguard. Hmm. And <laughs> yeah. Chubb Anderson, manservant bodyguard. <laughs> Say it again, won't you? Bodyguard and manservant. <laughs> um, anyway, so Mullendor and Chubb Anderson, they were the only two at home that night. And this house, it was like a spacious, multi-level house. It wasn't far from ranch headqu- headquarters. And they were the only two people there. So Chubb Anderson, who was 29 years old at the time of the murder, Get this. He told authorities that he was upstairs preparing a bath when he heard a gunshot from the basement. From the basement? He was upstairs. And I think it was like one of those things where like it was a quote, quote, basement, but there was a sliding glass door that led to outside. Okay. Oh, okay. Kind of thing. Like one of those split level houses, maybe. Yeah. But still, he had the bath water on when he heard the gunshot. He was upstairs. Mm Mm-hmm. And the other guy was in the basement. basement. Den. Den. Yeah. So he heard the gunshot, right? Okay. I mean, I yeah, I guess you might be able to hear a gunshot. Well, that's what he said. He okay. said he heard I the mean, gunshot. I don't know. but And then he ran downstairs to find his friend and employer mm-hmm. seated by the couch, okay. blood streaming down his oh, face. No. Chubb said that a sharp blow knocked him down. Oh, oh. And he realized he had been shot. <gasps> Jumping up to his feet, he said he drew his 25 caliber pistol. Wait, I thought he was in the bath. And then he emptied it at the two men he saw running away I, I, from the house. And the what? shots broke the sliding glass door onto the patio. What? I thought he was running a bath. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. And then he, the gunshot, and then he runs down the stairs, okay. sees the, the... So he's running a bath, but his... I mean, I guess your clothes could still be on, but your gun is still on you? I mean, maybe he had turned it on and Why do you have a gun up. inside your house getting ready to take a bath? I guess he hadn't undressed yet. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't undressed. I don't know. I just... I mean, it, okay. it, it's hard to try and... Okay, so I, for one, when I am running a bath and my bath water is running, I am in the process of taking my clothing off. Most people are. Okay, that's... Okay. And so he runs down this... Let's just say maybe he just then started the Mm -hmm. bath. Mm -hmm. Maybe his shoes were off. Maybe he... I don't know. But he still has a gun on, which I'm... That baffles me that why are you upstairs running a bath and your gun is still on you and Oops, where I, was the gun yeah was that's it, another good one you know did he have a holster was it holster? stuck in the was back of his pants like, 
Good question. Don't know. And this is interesting, too. Despite being injured yes. because he got shot, yes. Chubb staggered oh, to gosh. the nearby residence of the ranch manager, Del Kurt, okay. alerting him to the crime. And while Anderson climbed into his car and set out for the hospital to be treated for his wound. What about the... Uh- the guy shot in the house. So call the police. Get an ambulance there. Dale Kurt summoned the neighboring Washington County Sheriff's Department, even though the incident actually happened in Osage County. Oh my! Wh- and why didn't he just stay there? You know, an ambulance is on the way. Just say well, two I'm, people have been shot. And I'm sitting here going, Why did you call Washington you County? You live in to Osage. Run to the neighbor, the the ranch hands oh, house. Oh, point. You've been shot, and yet you. Get in your car and drive yourself to the hospital. Like, why would, like you said, why would you not just wait? Yeah. For them to get there. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Furthermore, he's got his, I'm assuming if he's running, walking across a bunch of land, he's got his shoes on. But I thought he was running a bath. I know. I know. There are so many holes in what he says. I'm glad I'm not an investigator. I wouldn't be able to do this. Yeah. So a deputy and a pair of ambulance attendants responded to the call. And of course, you know, it was in vain because by that point, I mean, Mullendore had been shot Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the forehead, like right between the eyes. And like that's an execution. Well, and so not only had he been shot in the forehead, but apparently, you know, he was beaten before. Right. So they could see. It's a crime of passion. Like somebody was mad. He was in some kind of fizzle physical altercation Mm -hmm. and it's evidenced by the cuts to his scalp there were contusions on his face and he had some loosened teeth so of course molendor was pronounced dead at a bartlesville hospital and i think it's the same hospital that chubb anderson was treated for a gunshot wound to the left upper arm and then he was released so he really was shot he was shot. Okay. Yes, he really was shot. Somebody somewhere really did shoot him. Well, let me throw you for a loop. Oh, gosh. Now, was he shot? Did he shoot himself? Or did he know the person who shot him? Think about that. <sighs> wow. <laughs> what year did this happen? 1970. 1970. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, forensics aren't what they are now. Right. I, I mean, I don't... Do you know that in the 70s, if they had the ability to do, you know, like when people decide to shoot themselves and mm-hmm. you can see that there's some sort of residue gunshot on them? Like, residue yeah, gu- yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Gunshot residue. I, I can't remember when that came into effect. Me neither. And so I was wondering, could they have checked him? But would they have checked him? I mean, someone's coming in and saying they shot. I got shot and someone else got shot and maybe they just, okay, yeah. Well, I think at that point, you know, two people had been shot, one fatal. And it was probably one of those things where it was, okay, well, let's get help. Let's, let's do this. I think, and we'll talk about it later, Mm -hmm. but I don't think the investigation was handled like it should have been, if that makes sense. I think some people called it a botched investigation and but we'll we'll get into that later though unfortunately do you know who was in charge of the investigation was it osage county or washington county funny you should ask not only was osage county sheriff department and law enforcement show up at this house the washington county sheriff's department also showed up okay along with other police like 
the hypo or something? Yeah, like, um, I can't remember what it said. Uh, I know hmm. I'll talk about it later. I can't okay. think of it okay. off the top of okay. my head. But there were several people involved in this case. And because it was such a high-profile case, because... People knew mm-hmm. who these people were. Well, yeah, yeah. And because of that, it became a media circus. Oh, and so gosh. a lot of the people who came up to, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. were there for sightseeing because of the high profile. Oh, yeah. But anyway, well, that's, I digress. We'll get okay, into okay. that later. But I want to talk a little bit about Chubb Anderson. <laughs> and when I say talk about him, I mean like his character. We're not going to go deep into his background okay. or anything like that. It's just more along the lines of what people thought about him. Okay. Chubb Anderson had been described as a charmer with a hot temper and a short fuse, but very likable unless you got on his bad side. So what what a conundrum is that? Like, oh, he's a great guy, but he has a short fuse and a bad temper. So don't get on his bad side because he'll turn on you. Like, And what about the fact likeable? that he's working for a guy who apparently now has a drinking problem right. and likes to go out and get in fights with people because he also has a short right. temper? Yes. Wow. And two peas in a pod. Yes. And I can imagine the headbutting that probably went on. But anyway, yeah. he was also described as handsome. And that he had beautiful green eyes. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? He he had quite the ladies' man kind of reputation. He was one of those guys. A la Ted Bundy here. He he was one of those guys that it always seemed like he had a girlfriend or like Mm, he was mm -hmm. he could very easily. What am I trying to say? He, He very easily charmed the opposite sex and not just the opposite sex. Men liked him, too. They thought he was a great guy. They thought he was likable. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. Okay. So, anyway, he was also, he had quite the reputation for being an excellent hunter, fisherman, and a guide. Okay. So, a lot of people okay. would come to him if they wanted to go on, like, a hunting trip. They would hire him as, like, a guide because he was very proficient in okay. um, tracking and killing animals and <laughs> Finding animals and all that, okay, all that okay. hunter fisherman kind of stuff. Yeah. Another crazy kooky fact about him: <laughs> when he got into some, tr- like, okay, I will say this: throughout his life, mm-hmm. he has had run-ins with the law. Oh, like it's not. This okay. isn't like just some you know one-off thing. Like he's yeah. always had something going on with the ah, law. Ah. Hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So when he got into some trouble, and I can't remember exactly what trouble it was. Mm-hmm. He stole the identity of Jack Everett, who was a Korean War veteran who died in 1957. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> he stole the identity oh, it of gets a kookier. veteran who yes. had passed away. It gets kookier. Oh, my god! Jack Everett's brother, Les, was friends with Chubb Anderson. So when he knew that Chubb was in trouble with no, the law and he was no, going to, no. I think he like jump bond or something no. like that. He was going to skip town. Oh my gosh. He, Les no. Everett no. gave Don't say Chubb it. Anderson Don't say permission no. to use his dead brother's name no. and social security number. Yes. I don't know what's worse. 
stealing someone's identity or allowing your friend to steal your dead brother. I think that's worse. I think that's worse. And he used it for years. What? He used it for years and years and years. A lot of people, so some, like, I'm going to read an expert, expert, <laughs> an excerpt later, and it, and and his friend refers to him as Jack, because that's how he knew him, as Jack Everett, not Chubb Anderson. Well, I mean, I guess, you because, know, we don't have the internet like we do now, so. Well, Chubb didn't want to be recognized for being involved with the Mullendore murder, but he also got into other trouble Wait. and jumped town. Oh, my gosh. So he, oh, my gosh. So he was able, I did it again. <laughs> so he was able to, after this whole murder went down, mm-hmm. he was able to continue living, but as someone different? Yes. And we'll get oh we'll gosh. get into that. We'll get oh into that gosh. more later. Oh my gosh. So Tommy Cox was a hunting buddy of Chubb's and I believe he was one of his friends from up in Montana. Okay. Because Chubb at one point moved there. He kinda like running from the law, so to speak. <laughs> Great. And so he went up there with Jack Everett's identity. Okay. And he was up there for for quite a few years. Okay. Anyway, so this Tommy Cox, a hunting buddy of Chubb, once said this, quote, he could shoot with pinpoint accuracy and with either hand, throw a knife like no one else and was a dead shot with a bow and arrow. I remember a hunting trip one winter when the two of us got into a dispute with a game ranger and I thought Chubb was going to kill the guy. Uh, Well, you just don't call a man like that a liar. (laughs) Nice quote. I mean, uh, I feel like that says a lot. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Because especially with him being a dead shot with multiple different weapons and and both hands yeah and he was apparently pretty accurate with both hands Mm -hmm. shooting a gun i mean that's part of the reason why people would hire him as a guide because he was so proficient in hunting and fishing and all that stuff so if what he says was true and that he emptied his gun Mm -hmm. on these intruders yes I would assume, and with him being proficient with uh-huh. both hands, knowing that he was shot in the shoulder area. Yeah, right? I think it said upper okay. upper arm. So obviously that hand is out of commission. Mm-hmm. So he used his other hand and he should have hit his target? I mean, if he was such an expert marksman, you would think he would have made the shot right but right we'll talk a little bit about that in okay. a minute okay okay so dave dixon who was the manager of ted turner's Snowcrest ranch the, and the ted, ted turner, turner yes the movie tv tv guru. hollywood guru oh, it was his ranch okay. and it was his ranch that was up in alder montana oh. where chubb used to work and i think i believe they that he used to um did some like welding offenses for oh. Ted Turner. Okay. He um, really is just a jack of all trades, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Anyway, so up up at this ranch, Ted Turner's ranch in Older Montana, Dave Dixon, the manager, described Chubb as a very likable guy to be around and who could just tell you a story about anything and make you believe it. 
Oh. Yeah. So. Bit manipulative, maybe? Yeah. Hmm. And I think. Well, if he could make you believe any story. I think Chubb was very good at, how do I want to say this? Assessing his prey and knowing (laughs) how to manipulate them. Okay. I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but he was very adept at charming people and making them like him to get things from them, whatever that may be, whether it be a job or money or women, because they all (laughs) said he was charming. Yeah. And, you know, some of the women that he had been in relationships with, they all found him charming. I mean, you know, they said he was good looking. He was charming. You know, he was able to sweep these women off their feet. And but as soon as he got mad, you know, he would turn on them. Mm. And um, some like in the Footprints in the Dew Mm -hmm. book, which, again, I highly recommend anybody, everybody read it. It's so chock full of information. But um, several of the women that were in a relationship with Chubb claimed, you know, like he would beat on them if they made him mad. And, you know, it's. It's terrible, but he, I mean, he, he was that kind of guy. He would be able to charm you and then mm, get what mm-hmm. he wanted from you. And it's almost like a serial killer's profile. It is. It really know? is. And like I said, he'll charm the socks of you. But as soon as you do something he doesn't like, yeah. you know, you better watch out. And he also mm. like just reading through this book. He's also very much like just looking out for numero uno. Like Mm. he seems very selfish and you're only. I was going to say he sounds like many narcissists that we have covered. And you hear about in other Mm -hmm. true crime cases. He liked you until you weren't useful to him Mm -hmm, anymore. mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. But anyway, that's. Oh, and another thing is he ate up the persona of outlaw. You know, he <laughs> oh. he fully oh. he loved it when he was compared to being an outlaw. Like I think mm. he thought that was the bee's uh, knees. Like <laughs> the bee's knees. <laughs> um, I'm an outlaw. It's the bee's knees. Yeah, you. But he liked. But but he ate that stuff up. You know, and and if you think about it. You know, he did run from the law several times. Mm-hmm. He skipped he out on bond and bail many, caught. many times. He thought he was invincible. Uh, you know, of course he thought, oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. okay. So remember, Chubb said that he was upstairs when he heard the gunshot. Running a bath. Running a bath. <laughs> and then he ran downstairs when he heard it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then saw Mullendore seated by the couch with blood running down his face got shot in the arm yes was able to jump up and run after two men he saw and shot at them right yes all right so in del r lewis's book footprints in the dew most famous unsolved murder in the southwest when del lewis talked to tommy cox who we just talked about the hunting buddy okay yeah he told lewis that chubb told him about the night of the murder and i want to read this to y'all just really quick so it's from it's from the Footprints in the Dew book, chapter nine, Into the Mountains, and it's page seventy three. So this is what Tommy Cox said 
about Chubb and that night. And okay. really quick, I want to preface this with saying Tommy Cox is going to refer to Chubb as Jack Everett. Oh, that's right. That's Jack right. Jack Everett yeah. was the stolen identity Chubb mm-hmm, took. Mm-hmm. So when I say Jack, it's Chubb. Okay. He told me that he had been shot in the shoulder and had pursued the intruders, firing through sliding glass doors and chasing them out across the patio to the gravel driveway. As they ran down the driveway, he said he took aim and shot both of them in the back. He explained that he had convinced two friends who were sleeping in a nearby bunkhouse to get a what? stock trailer and load the bodies into What? It. He directed them to a pond dam that was under construction. Oh my gosh. And no. using a bulldozer that was still on the site, the two men buried the bodies in the dam. What? Then he ran to the house of Del Kurt, who was the ranch manager at the time. Jack said that he oh told Del gosh. that EC had been shot and that the two men had gotten away. This was the secret that no one back in Oklahoma knew and what? the reason he couldn't trust the law Why? or be fingerprinted. Why? He also claimed that the mob had been after him ever oh since gosh. EC's murder. So he presumed the two dead men had been mob employees. <laughs> Jack went on to tell me about other murders that he had been responsible for, including the killing of a man named Leroy Kerwin in Canada, along with another mobster in New York City. His story was that after he killed the two New York henchmen, the mob had wanted a truce and they offered peace if there were no more killings. And that's Uh, the way it's been for the past 30 some years. Okay. Okay. I think just like reading that little bit. Yeah. He was a storyteller. Absolutely. And um, I don't know if I believe this account at all. Okay. But it it just goes to show like the kind of person he was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> For someone to have claimed to have heard a gunshot, run downstairs, get shot, run after these people. His story is incredibly clear. Mm -hmm. And in my experience with past research in true crime, and of course, I'm a huge true crime fan and Uh different cases I've listened to and researched and whatnot, the more detailed a story is... Yes. The more likely that's the culprit. Uh-huh. Or they know a lot more than what they're saying. Than what they're saying. Exactly. And that is an v- extremely detailed story with lots of, I don't know, ways that could be, I don't like, can they go down to the dam and look for bodies? I, you know, I, I was Did they try? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what they, I don't know if the authorities ever knew that that had happened. Wow. Because this was at a time when Chubb was in Montana as oh. Jack Everett. And this and happened years after? Yes. Okay. Yes. It ha- it happened like, I can't remember how far in advance. Okay. Or um, I don't remember how many years had passed since the murder. Okay. That it happened. Huh. But... I think, if I remember correctly, um, they were doing some hunting and got caught, 
like in a snowstorm mm-hmm. and they had to seek shelter at like a hunting cabin or something like that. And they just and over dinner, he decided to divulge this story. I it was like something I don't oh remember. They were up there for like a day well, or two. And it just I don't know. It's there's just so many holes. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy that. It just makes you think, because this happened before midnight, so obviously it was kind of late in the evening. Yeah. And you're going to tell me that two random guys on a ranch, a Mm -hmm. 42,000-acre ranch, just randomly show up. Right. To shoot this man, and then... Well, and furthermore, EC was Chubb's friend, right? They were friends. They were co-workers. And to think that the last thing I would feel... If I was in Chubb's position where I potentially witnessed or, you know, caught Mm -hmm. my employer slash friend being murdered Uh and then I fired gunshots at him, there's a part of me that's like, at what point, I mean, I wouldn't, I guess those people would have been the last people from my mind as I was trying to ensure, like, get help for my friend who had been shot and then maybe pursued mm -hmm. the other people. Like before you even check on your friend or get help for your friend, you're off burying bodies Mm -hmm. in a ditch or in a dam. Right. There's just so many holes. Right. And I just, really, that's where your mind went Mm -hmm. when this first happened. Right. And okay, I just want to say, I don't know who did it. I have my thoughts which we'll get into next episode. Okay. But I want to say this. If you're thinking about it, he's saying two men killed his friend who was downstairs while he was upstairs. Mm-hmm. So how did they get in there in the first place? Oh, yeah. yeah. And he said that... Do we know if it looked like any areas had been like forcibly entered? Or... I don't think so. I mean, granted, you're on a 42,000 acre ranch. I Do you need so. to lock the doors? But here's the thing. How did they get in? Yeah, yeah. And where were they at when mm-hmm. Chubb ran down the stairs? Because remember, he said he ran down the stairs, was checking on... EC and then he was shot. Mm-hmm. So they had and to then have been. And when he got backed up, or when he got back up, he starts shooting at him. Well, how do where you know were where they, they at? How did you know where they were? And, uh, and it's almost like the way it sounds, he made it sound like they were outside. Uh huh. But the patio doors were closed. Yeah, because he, he shattered them, right? Yeah, he shattered them. And shattered them. Yeah. So how. How did they? And and furthermore, here's another thing. Okay, it was late at night, so it's dark. Yeah. How did he even see them? Was because uh, yeah. if you think about it, if you have the lights on in the house and you have a window open from mm-hmm. outside, you can't see outside in the dark. I mean, just there's a glare. Yeah, you would see a little bit of light, maybe like on the ground, but just like two feet in front of the not, window. I, so like, there's just so many questions now. Like I said, mm-hmm. I don't know if he did it or not. But the I don't think it looks good for him. No, I, absolutely not. And then the whole part about how the mafia wanted peace with him. Like, that's not how it the mafia. It doesn't ma- make sense. That's not how the mafia because works. Not that I have a lot of experience with the mob. I don't. I have zero. Right. I have movie experience. Right. And book experience. But for a mob syndicate to say, oh. Especially if you, you murdered. Henchmen. Henchmen. I feel like you'd be on a hit list. Let's make peace. 
No. No. You'd be the top person on their hit list. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't make sense at all. And I think, you know, it was two men trapped in a cabin telling tall tales. (laughs) And I mean, I think that's really all it was. Oh, my God. Yeah. His stories are very tall, in my opinion. Well, and, you know, who was it? Let me look really quick. The Dave Dixon, the manager of Ted Turner's Snowcrest Ranch, who said that, you know, he was a a likable guy to be around who could tell you a story about anything and make you believe it. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Mm. Anyway, so it's just crazy. It's it's it just makes you wonder. Yeah. But So George Wayman, who was and I found this out, George Wayman, who was he was the Osage County Sheriff. Okay. Um, at the time of the murder, he was at the ranch at daylight the next day after mm-hmm. after the murder, looking for tracks of the two men that Chubb said he saw. So in the heavy dew that covered the grass was one set of footprints. And it was those oh. made by Chubb Anderson when he trekked the 200 yards to the home of ranch manager Dale Kurt oh. to, you know, inform him yeah. about the shooting. Because if there was, if his footsteps were in the dew, the two other people's footsteps, should have body been. images, yeah. kerfluffle, whatever happened, should have been in the dew as well. There were no tracks found in the direction in which Chubb Anderson said the two assailants had made their escape. Hmm. The murder weapon was never found. So I'm going to stop there. What? No, 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 no. <laughs> we're no. stopping Wait. there. The murder weapon wasn't found. Okay. The one that shot AC, obviously, he's the only one that died. But okay. What about... No, I don't like this. So (laughs) it was obviously a different weapon than the weapon that Chubbs had on him that he shot, quote, shot the assailants with. Guess we'll find out. That's mean. That's cruel. (laughs) She just gave me this, like, stink eye. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Excuse me. Well, so I... So far, I... um, I was going to say my my dad's boss, Wayne. Hey. Hey, Wayne. He um, he suggested the story. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I didn't. So back in June, I think it was, we had gone to Gardner's used book in Tulsa. Yeah. And we were just kind of looking for books about Oklahoma mm-hmm. that we could find and use. And this Footprints in the Dew is mm-hmm. the one we found. Yes, and yes. It was in like a glass case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that's got to be something yeah. special. <laughs> well, we've had that book since then. Mm-hmm. And I, it's been a few months, three or probably about three months since my dad said told, told us about this. Mm-hmm. And I at the time, I didn't realize that this book was about what he suggested. <laughs> so oh, good. Um, but anyway, also, um, my dad is, he works, okay, he used to work in the aerospace industry and he no longer works in the aerospace industry, but he does work for a public school and he's he works as a maintenance man. He loves it. Mm-hmm. And his boss, now I don't think, there's a gentleman that used to work at the same school mm-hmm. And he used to work on the Crossbell Ranch oh. back in the day. I don't know. I don't. I don't think he was there when my dad was there. Or my. I mean, my dad's still there, but I don't think at the school, he, at not the at school. the ranch. Yeah, the not school. at the ranch. Okay. I don't think he worked with my dad at the school. Mm-hmm. I think he 
was already retired or moved mm-hmm. on or wherever okay. whatever he did but i thought that was really neat that somebody that my dad may or may not have worked with mm-hmm. worked at that, that ranch great. yeah i was so like i wish i knew who it was so we could ask him some questions He's so cool. and what his thoughts were on it but yeah anyway that is all you're getting from me tonight oh, so man i hope you're intrigued and ready for more <laughs> come back for episode 20 i guess yeah conclusion (laughs) we'll talk about the investigation nice and the aftermath okay and again i highly 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 recommend everybody go check out this book and fun fact i think it's super super expensive on amazon but if you make your way to claremore there's a little bookshop on main street yes Boarding house books, because it was in the old boarding oh, house. Oh, yeah, that's right. Boarding house books. Go check them out. They they actually have this book, mm-hmm. because I remember we walked in, and you pointed it out, because mm-hmm. you're like, look, they've got it. And it's it's probably like $25, $26. Don't quote me on that. But <laughs> um, definitely go check it out, because... Yes. Or go find it at the library. Yes. I honestly think that some of these smaller bookstores around town probably have it. So you might try Magic City Books if you are in the Tulsa area. Also, one of my friends on Facebook recently got it in the Pawhuska area. Oh, really? So I don't know how much Mm -hmm. she paid for it. But I imagine that she probably got it for a normal price. But that's right. When we looked at it on Amazon, it was like $124. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But so don't pay that much for no, them. There's no, plenty no. of places yeah. in the state the, of Oklahoma that sell it for cheap. And the cool thing about this book, guys, it's like primary sources. This, the author went and interviewed all these people. Oh, he talked yeah. to Chubb Anderson personally for years. Wow. Went and visited him and wrote him letters. Like he, he generally, I think, considered him a friend. He went and talked to all these people who knew Chubb Anderson I mean, it's primary sources, and it doesn't really get better than that. No, I don't think so. So anyway, sorry, I went on and on about that, but (laughs) I highly recommend the book. So anyway, that's all I've got. Here we go. All right. Well, you may send all of your hate mail addressed to (laughs) Jess at CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com, or you can slide into our DMs at CuriousCousinsOK on Instagram and CuriousCousinsOK podcast on Facebook. You can find us on all major podcasting streams such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Google. And of course, we would love to hear from you. Any show ideas, listener tales, you name it, just comments. Just want to drop a line and say hi, please do. And just tell them what to keep it. Keep it kooky and spooky. Bye. Bye.